Hey, this is Charlie Benante with Anthrax, and you are listening to the Shout It Out Loudcast with Tom and Zeus. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to Shout It Out Loudcast. Don't turn your radio dial. You're in the right place because we are doing our second installment of the album review crew interviews. Get See how that rhymed? You like that? Like that? (laughs) So today, Tommy Zeus, how are you? I'm fired up, man. I love Portnoy. Everybody knows I love drummers and Portnoy is one of my all-time favorites, uh, not just from Dream Theater, but Winery Dogs and everything else he does. So uh, I'm amped and, uh, we caught him at a good time when he's taking a break in between uh, on the road with the, with the winery dogs. So this, this will be fun. Yeah. Super excited. Uh, you know, from all accounts, he's uh, a fun guy, big kiss fan. Yep. And, uh, can't wait, man. Can't wait. Yeah. He, uh, hinted several times. We're going to talk about kiss, right? Just in case we end up talking about kiss Yeah. when, and if we talk about kiss, it's like, dude, we'll get there. We're going to get there, Mike. We're going to get there, Mike. And we, and we definitely did at the end. Yeah. So without further ado, here's the interview. All right. So this time on ARC, the interviews, we are thrilled, super stoked to have this guest on, you know, him from dream theater. You know him from Adrenaline Mob. You know him from Sons of Apollo. And of course, you know him from so many other bands, but especially the Winery Dogs, because we talked about their debut album. In my opinion, he is arguably the greatest living drummer right now. And if you think he's not, I want to hear from another another person. Wow. Well, are, I'll be the first. We are thrilled. <laughs> we are thrilled to have we are thrilled to have Mike Portnoy. I'm a drummer guy. I love that we have you on, Mike. Welcome to Shout It Out Loudcast. Oh, thank you. What an intro. Thank you very much. Uh, absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Good night. See you later. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> we just wanted to tell you that. <laughs> Mike, right. we are honored to have you here. So every time we take we rotate albums, uh, Sonny goes, he's been singing, he's a big Richie fan. Yeah. And uh, we were just on the Kiss Cruise, and we have this thing. We give each other shit. I'm sure you're pretty much aware of it. And I'm like, oh, if Sonny like Richie Cotton, he must suck. I fucking, uh, I don't want to hear him. <laughs> and I'm like an idiot, didn't see him play. Tom Sarman was, was like, this is incredible. Sonny then picks this album, your debut album from the Winery Dogs. I'm like, oh, great. Sonny, I'm sure I'm going to hate it. I <laughs> fucking loved it. Absolutely yeah, nice. blew my mind. We went and saw you in New Hampshire, Tom and I. Concert was incredible. We'll get into that. But we'll give the honor over to Sonny here, who's the genius, like I said, that picked this album. Uh, Sonny, why don't you lead us off, buddy? Yeah, so, Mike, I, you know, I've been a Winery Dogs fan from day one. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of all of Richie's solo stuff. And honestly, I'm glad that you kind of started doing something rock because I'm just not a big Dream Theater fan. It's not my bag yeah it's not everybody's thing i get it not my thing right i'm more of a rock guy so knowing that you were going to do rock music it was like that's just absolutely awesome but i was wondering 
like, because you, Billy and Richie are kind of coming from different places. Like where does the musical taste cross? Like, I'm sure it's not a kiss or rush. It's gotta be something else. Right. Yeah. I mean, we definitely, uh, on one hand, we're three birds of a feather or three dogs of a feather, I should say. (laughs) Uh, but on the other hand, all three of us have very, very different backgrounds as well. Cause my background obviously was in Prague and progressive music and writing, 20, 30 minute songs with a million time signatures. I mean, that was kind of like where I made my name. And then there's also the metal side of me. I mean, I, I have metal allegiance with all the guys from Testament and Anthrax and Megadeth and Exodus, all those guys. So, I mean, if you're looking at me, you have the prog and the metal, which is obvious that I'm kind of coming from that world. Richie is coming from more of like funk R and B, you know, he's kind of like uh, like a rock version of like Prince or, yes. uh, you know, he loves Prince. He loves like Trans- Terrence Trent Darby. I mean, that's like his thing. And then Billy, I guess Billy's background is probably the most in line with where the Winery Dogs music goes. Because I think Billy comes from that classic late 60s, early 70s, like classic rock, uh, Cream, Hendrix, Who, Zeppelin, Grand Funk, Vanilla Fudge. That's kind of like where Billy's background is. So... Somehow you throw the three of us into this melting pot and you get the winery dogs. You know, I think I think uh, the fact that it's a power trio is something that means a lot to all three of us. Uh, Me personally, I didn't have a power trio in my arsenal. Uh, All the other things I do not only were metal and prog, but there were also like four or five people in the band. So doing a trio is a whole different kind of dynamic. You know, there's so much room for all three of us to cover and really, you know, open up and spread out. Uh, but yeah, you know, that's 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 kind of the common ground between the three of us and where all three of us come from. But yeah, once you put us together, it's about the songs, you know, like we didn't really have a preconceived discussion when we made this first album. It wasn't like, hey, let's try to do a power trio thing and like cream meets King's X. It wasn't like a discussion. It was just like, OK, we just got in the room and played and this is like the songs that came out of us just naturally you get three virtuosos are you guys like consciously not trying to step on each other like on the recording like you can fix it but live there's got to be like a point or something or yeah i mean i'd like to say that all three of us are very consciously trying to not step on each other's toes but if you see us live It's a three ring circus. I mean, as much as we all try to pull back and play for the song, especially me and Billy, uh, you know, you see live. Sometimes we just go for it. We're on the edge at all times. But, uh, you know, I personally try to be extremely conscious of Richie and what he's singing and what he's playing. For me, that's kind of my role in this band. You know, I've overplayed and played the million piece drum kit and, you know, long songs with all my other bands showing off. Like that's not what this band is about. This band is about the song. And to me, Richie has to be in the forefront. He's got to be the focus with the, with what he's singing and what he's playing. And he's the anchor and me and Billy are kind of like there to support that anchor, but you know, but yeah, it sometimes does get a little um, tricky to contain ourselves, you know, live, especially, but we do our best. Mike, you've like kind of to piggyback on what Sonny said about virtuosos. I mean, you're in dream theater with John Petrucci, John Petrucci, an absolute guitar God virtuoso of a different style. And, and you come into the winery dogs where Billy yourself and Richie are all, 
I mean, again, to use that word virtuosos, it, it, when you are playing music with the winery dogs, it's like you, like you even admitted and everybody who listens knows it's so different from dream theater. Is that like a, a comfortable kind of like place for you to be because you're not doing the super technical dream theater. You're just kind of rocking back some funk, some rock, some R and B, and you just kind of chilling, you know, smaller kit. Like you just mentioned, is it kind of a little bit more comfortable? I don't want to say better, but just kind of comfortable. Well, it's, for me, it's very, very easy. I'm not yeah. sure if John Petrucci or Jordan Rudis would be comfortable playing this kind of music. Uh, right. Because they come from a very different background in terms of, I think they're very much in the world of what Dream Theater does, and that's kind of their wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, for me, I was always a fan of so many different things. So even during those 25 years in Dream Theater, I still was going home and listening to Kiss, for instance, just to bring them up yeah. because I'm here on your show. Sure. None of the guys in Dream Theater ever listened to Kiss or l- liked Kiss. But for me, I love Kiss. I love the Beatles. I love U2. I love Jellyfish. I love Slayer. And all of those things are outside of the wheelhouse of Dream Theater. And I think that's why after 20 years of Dream Theater, I kind of needed to branch out and tap into all these other sides of my musical taste. Um, you know, and that's what I've been doing in the 13 years since leaving the band, you know, uh, winery dogs scratch a certain itch of this style of music. I love the who and Zeppelin and cream and Hendrix and all the bands I've already name checked. Uh, it was also the same putting together like flying colors, a great band I have with, with Dave LaRue and Steve Morse, you know, that band is tapping into another kind of thing or what I do with the Neil Morse band is another thing or metal allegiance or sons of Apollo. Every one of these different bands I'm a part of out or since dream theater are scratching different musical itches that maybe I wasn't able to do with Dream Theater. So in answer to your question, this, what I do with the winery dogs, is completely comfortable to me. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I didn't get to play this kind of stuff with Dream Theater, but I always loved this type of stuff. I mean, I'm just as much of a, a Vanilla Fudge fan as I am a, a Genesis fan or King Crimson fan. Right. So, you know, it doesn't, I'm not just the prog guy, or, you know, I, I yep. love everything the fact that i could sit here and talk to you guys about kiss we haven't yet but you know if and when we do like you couldn't have that conversation with john petrucci and that's not a that's not a, a diss on him it's just sure that's just the truth just yeah. mu- different people have different musical taste my taste happens to be extremely broad and prog and metal and what i used to do at dream theater is only one of many many different sides perfect yeah so mike for me i'm coming into the winery dogs I've heard your name as being one of these great drummers and Tommy would always sing your praise. Oh, Mike Portner, he's a beast. He's a beast. <laughs> Billy Sheehan, we all knew from growing up from David Lee Roth, Mr. Big. And Richie was somebody new that I knew Sonny would talk to me about. Only thing I knew about Richie Cotson was he was in Poison. Okay, that's it. So I didn't know what I was coming into when I got this. Right. And I was absolutely blown away. The the I think you hit it on the head when you say like 70s style because it's got you can't pigeonhole you guys. I can't say, oh, yeah, this is a rock album. It's not just a rock album. There's so many different genres, so many different styles. Uh, it's funny because we always do, when we do these albums, we break down everything. We listen to every track, and then we rank everything. Oh, wow. And when I look at every track that we ranked as number one, we each had a different number one song. We wow. all had different and worse songs, too. And not right. that any song was bad, but just by how we ranked it. Uh, Tom had elevate. I had you saved me. Uh, wow. Sonny had damaged. 
Wow. And uh, Damage on the average was the number one ranked song that we had. And you're probably like, yeah, I've talked to a million people. And they, they don't like any of those songs as number one. Right. They like this. Well, that's a sign of a great album, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And this is what I wanted to say. And I get a chance to tell an artist personally is that it blew us away with the fact that there's so much variety here. And it's a, it's a fucking album. Something that's gone these days with singles yeah. and streaming and stuff. You can play this whole album straight through and not be disappointed. You may like this song a little more because it has a little more funk or this song because it's a ballad. And I was also blown away by, I didn't know Richie could sing. I, I mean, we, the joke was we were all like, holy shit. When did fucking right. Chris Cornell come back? Because his <laughs> vocals are phenomenal. And you can hear Billy going and your drums right off from Elevate right off the bat. I'm like, Jesus, I know what Tom's talking about now. Thank you. Yep. Fucking yeah. amazing. I mean, now, I was. I will, go ahead. Go ahead go no, ahead. But please. No, no. I want to hear from you. Well, I was just going to say, like, when you know, it's hard. First of all, it's hard to, for me to believe that this album is already 10 years old. And we yeah, have 10 imagine. years. That's crazy. But uh, that was the thing. Like, when the Winery Dogs came around, people knew Richie's name, like, as the, the replacement guy in Poison or Mr. Big. And not many people, that was the big surprise when, when the winery doors came around was that people didn't realize he had this incredible voice and this yeah. whole aura and vibe to him. And I mean, he, he's a, he's a, he's a star, you know, but Absolutely. yeah, I, I don't have much more to say than that. There's it, like, that was the big uh, takeaway for a lot of people when this band finally, you know, when we came out t 10 years ago, that seemed to be the general consensus. And it was the same for me. I didn't know Richie had that side of him uh, until shortly before we put the band together. I got turned on to his solo stuff. And I was like, holy shit. Wow, this guy's a, a re the real deal. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. The, the, the interesting thing, too, um, is, you know, you, you take you three guys, you know, the, the people use the term super group. And I guess technically that's what we would call you. And. Most of the time, historically speaking, Supergroup is, you know, one album, maybe two, and then everybody kind of goes back to what they were doing or or whatever. Ten years or, or you know, between your first and your third, which I think is phenomenal. And I think, I mean, you know, the newest album is just mind-blowingly spectacular. Uh, the debut album, Hot Streak, everybody loves. And, I mean, tell us about how, how what it how have you kept the winery dogs like together for 10 years when, when you've admittedly said you have so, so many other things that you're doing? Well, the the real answer is the truth is we, we took a little bit of a hiatus between the second and third album. Yep. Uh, you know, when we made this first record, we didn't know what to expect. Uh, it, a, we didn't know in terms of writing, we didn't know what to expect. So when we, put together this first album richie did come in with a few things because we wanted to have something just in case there was no chemistry luckily there was a lot of chemistry and we ended up writing together really really easily but when we first came together we didn't know what the writing chemistry would be like and the other thing was b we didn't know how we'd be received we didn't know if anybody was going to like right. the band have people going to come come out to the shows but immediately the first album came out and people took to it and i was in a place where i was doing lots of different new bands around you know a few years after first leaving dream theater so you know it was kind of like with this one everybody really took to this like with adrenaline mob it was like some people liked it some people didn't like it with what i do with like transatlantic or flying colors the more proggy stuff some people like it some people it's too much for but with the winery dogs everybody got it it was like it didn't matter what you listened to it seemed like the one band of all the things i was doing 
that everybody like got it and and latched on to. So in answer to your question, you know, the first album came out, it did well. We were on the road for a solid year playing, you know, over a hundred shows that first cycle. And then we immediately followed up with Hot Streak and immediately went on the road for that. So it was two back-to-back cycles over the course of three or four years, hundreds of shows for those two albums. And it, it was a little overwhelming. It, you know, it was like, wait, we got to catch our breath. Take take a breath here because it's it's starting to become like a real band. You know, we <laughs> wanted it to be a real band, but then it's like, be careful what you wish for. Suddenly mm-hmm. we had a label bring, breathing down our necks for, with deadlines and we got to get this album out. And after two rounds of that, uh, we all kind of like, all right, let's, you know, this is meant to be fun. At this stage of our careers, we're all in our 50s and 60s. You know, we're not looking, we're, it's not like we're in our 20s and 30s with a brand new band. We're here in, our, you know, 50s and 60s with a new band. So it, it needed to be paced. And the answer to your question is, how did we sustain this long as we did take a break between Hot Streak and and the new one? And I think, you know, having those few years off for each of us to do with the different things we do, it gave everybody a chance to catch our breaths and, really appreciate what the winery dogs did have to offer. And this way we knew when we would come back together that the spark would be there. It's kind of like absence makes the heart grow fonder, you know, Mm. and uh, it's like, all right, we took a few years off. Then in 2019, we got together to do some live shows just for the fun of it. No new thing to promote or whatever. And we had such a blast playing together on that tour. It was like, all right, let's do the third album. And here we are. Nice. Took a little longer than expected because of the pandemic shutting down mm-hmm. everything for a while. But uh, we finally got this third album out. And now here we are, like, hitting the road hard. 2023, yes. I mean, we got a, a really, really full schedule this year. And, uh, you know, we're hitting the ground running. Love it. Love you it. mentioned label self-producing makes complete sense. You got three guys that have been in the music business forever. Of course, you're going to self-produce. But how did you shoo like the frontiers of the world away? Because usually they're the super group label, right? So right. I'm sure they were all over you and you end up with loud or proud. Uh, because we weren't looking to just cash in and do a one and go one one off kind of project, <laughs> you know, not to bash that label. But there are certain labels that literally put out 100 albums a year and none of them are real bands. You know, these people don't even meet. They just send each other files from different countries around the globe. And we never wanted this to be that we wanted the one who dogs to be a quote unquote real band. We wanted the three of us to be in a room together, writing the music together, touring together. We didn't want it to be a project where you just put it out and don't even play a live show. We knew we wanted to tour the world and hit every country from, from here to South America, to Japan, to Australia and everything in between. And that was it. So, you know, when we were getting these offers from some of these kind of project labels, we, we, we weren't interested in it. We wanted a label that viewed us as a real band. You know, all three of us, when we put this thing together in 2012 or whatever it was, we were all, all three of us were looking for a real vehicle that would carry us through the next 10, 20 years of our careers. You know, we were each, all three of us were ready for something like this and we had to have the right label to do it. And we were with loud, loud and proud for the first two records and then in the um, in the amount of time between the second record and the new one, they ended up folding. And obviously the industry has gone through yeah. so much stuff over the last five years between streaming and then the pandemic. You know, it, it hit a lot of industry and labels different ways. But one of the things was we lost Loud and Proud because they folded as a label. So when this time <laughs> this album came around, it was like, what do we want to do? Do we want to shop for another label or do we want to do it ourselves? And Richie 
suggested doing it ourselves because that's how he had been doing his solo albums. So we decided to give it a shot. We figured at this day and age, all three of us have our own followings that are already built in. And the Winery Dogs, having had a few albums at this point, already have a built-in following as well. So we figured, you know what? Let's just do it ourselves. And uh, and that's what we're doing this time around. So one of the things I want to say is we saw you live in New Hampshire, Tom and I. Show absolutely kicked ass. It was refreshing because of all the concerts we've seen. You guys all looked like you were having fun. Mm. Here you are, as Tom described you, rock's greatest living drummer. Yes, I said with, it. With, with, yes, he said it. Okay. Mike's, Mike's waving us off. No. <laughs> with, with, the, with, the, with the drum set I'm watching that I'm like, that, is that Peter Chris's drum set from the 70s? It's like a small. Oh, this, like, is, my, this is my small kit, you know. Right, right. But yeah. we're watching you. And one of the things I pointed out, and it was, I'm like, I got to ask him about this. You're playing with the freaking mic every other second. It's like you're having, you're enjoying yourself, having fun, laughing and stuff. And every once in a while, you do some trick with the mic, push it aside, <laughs> sing your drums and bring it all the way back. We're like, here's a guy that looks like he's having to look. We, we've been critical of some other shows that we've seen drummers or people that just look like it's fucking work, right? like real work, like not yeah. exciting, like digging ditch work. And what we found refreshing is the way you guys are each playing off of each other, looking at each other, laughing with each other, enjoying it. And just your fucking attitude. I I have to tell you, Uh, it translates to fans. It makes you, it endears you to us because I see that. And I'm like, here's a guy that loves what he's doing up there for us. And it kicked ass. And I just I just found it fun. The whole mic thing you were doing. And, we, and Tom and I was like, what the fuck's he doing? You know, you <laughs> get a like Backstreet Boys mic like, or something. You, know, you don't have to do <laughs> I, this. It no, was awesome. I, well, first of all, thank you. I appreciate thank that. You. I mean, you know, honestly, all three of us, but especially myself and Billy, are, you know, really all about the live performance. Richie, of course, is as well, but he, of course, he's kind of stuck at the mic. He has to sing the songs and control the songs. Uh, but obviously when he breaks away and then we do a lot of the jams and the solos, it's a three ring circus, like I said earlier. But I think, especially for me and Billy, it, that live performance and that, that persona is so important. I mean, my, one of my biggest drum heroes of all time was, was Keith Moon. And oh, it wasn't necessarily about the playing with him although his playing was a huge huge influence for for me as well but like when i saw the movie the kids are all right in 79 that was my first time actually seeing keith i had been listening to them throughout the 70s when i was a kid but just listening to the records you couldn't really see what you were listening to and when i saw the kids are all right keith moon was like i couldn't take my eyes off of him you know you were literally captivated he's bouncing sticks he's twirling he's kicking a kid kicking the kid over. He was just like playing the drums like a lead instrument. And you can say the same thing about John Entwistle's playing and the way he, I mean, John was more reserved on stage, but he played like a lead instrument. And it's the same with Billy Sheehan. I remember seeing Billy playing with Talis back in the early eighties uh, in the clubs on Long Island. And it was like seeing Jimi Hendrix or Eddie Van Halen on yes. bass. Yes. And then, you know, then once he joined David Lee Ross band, it was the same thing. It was like, he, he was playing bass like a lead instrument and like, on fire like an acrobatic up there you can't take your eyes off him so for billy and i in particular that aspect that showmanship uh is really important that that kind of energy the interaction not only with each other but with the audience i mean 
that's so so important and yeah i mean i've seen a lot of other bands where the drummers are just or the musicians are kind of just you know look watching paint dry and to mm-hmm. me that was never interesting even in dream theater um who's kind of famous for <laughs> that kind of music where it's very very clinical and you know uh very uh i don't want to say robotic but it's very 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 technical very technical even all those years with dream theater i still always wanted to be a showman back there i always wanted to bring that lars ulrich or keith moon mentality to the drums even playing that kind of music and i take that with me wherever i go and as far as the microphone thing i mean i i actually when i first started singing live with dream theater in the 90s i tried having one of those headset mics and it just it didn't work for me. I, I'm too active on stage. Yeah. yeah. And then even having a mic just sitting in front of me, it's yeah. hard when I'm up and down and throwing sticks and twirling cymbals and sticks. So it's just the mic's got to be there when I'm singing, but when it's not there, get it the hell out of the way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just found got, it interesting, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah. I also got to give you guys credit for professionalism. So we were talking about this latest tour. I saw you guys at the Blue Note in Harrison, Ohio. Oh, yeah. It was, was obviously was a, a problem a with the. Yeah, there was obviously a problem because <laughs> you guys left stage after the second song, yeah. came back and finished the set. It was great. But, uh, I, you know, I've been, I won't mention who the guitar player was, but it was hot in the club and the guitar player just started going off. <laughs> going off. Richie just on a, hey, guys, we can't go on right now. There's a problem on stage. It's not the Blue Note's fault. They'll fix it. We'll be right back. Right. What, was it a buzz in the speakers? What was happening that day? It was uh, a buzz through his guitar amp. Like literally anytime he, turned the volume up on his guitar, it was just feeding back the entire time, a wow. buzz and a feedback. And uh, it wasn't there at soundcheck. And occasionally shit like that happens. And you could either piss and moan and complain and throw a fit, or you do what Richie did. It's like, guys, <laughs> we got to take care of this. We can't play a show like this. And we want to, you know, we were there to play a show and play the music for people. So yeah, we had to take, take, take five and let the, Guitar tech, figure it out and get rid of the the feedback and then continue on. Yeah, that's but the lo- fullest I've ever that, seen that place, by the way. Yeah, that that was a crazy. I tell you what, this whole tour, every night the places were jammed. Mm-hmm. I mean, the turnouts on this entire tour were amazing. So, sold out shows like almost every night and awesome. jam packed. And it's like I was saying earlier, for some reason, people just love this band. You know, it's uh, I- people really connect with it. Yeah, Mike, I think you brought up a good point. I think you said, you know, kind of you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder. But I think that applies to the fans as well, because I think right now, you know, everybody talks about music like, you know, Zeus brought up streaming and like bands are like single oriented or whatever. I think people, especially people our age, you know, me, Sonny and Zeus were kind of around the same age. We want a rock band again. We right. want a rock album. We want a we want musicians we want like so i think when this album came out people like holy shit the winery dogs are back with a new album we listened to it obviously the album's incredible people go into your back catalog and now we're going to see your tour word of mouth spreads you know the the beauty of twitter and facebook everybody's like holy shit just saw the winery dogs in Derry, new hampshire we posted that on our social media everybody's like cannot wait to cannot wait like so many listeners of our podcast are like cannot wait cannot wait and they're going yeah and everybody's just sharing stories about how fantastic Great. it is And it just shows that there's that desire for just rock music and live performance. And, you know, kudos to you guys for bringing, bringing that back. You know, I mean, it's been there, but, but, and and for me personally, I'll speak for myself. 
Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Everybody loves stadium shows, whether it's at, you know, a shed or at a football stadium. Nothing beats a club venue. The intimacy, you see everything right up close. And and we saw you at the new Tupelo Music Hall in Derry, New Hampshire. Small club, maybe 700 people. I don't even, maybe less. Incredible. No bad seats. And we're watching each of you perform individually. And that adds to the enjoyment of the performance and the music and the songs. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, yeah, this is a real rock band. There's nothing pre-recorded. There's no tracks. It's three guys playing their instruments, three guys singing, and that's it. And you know, I, I give Eddie Trunk a lot of credit too, because Eddie was, you know, I call him the, the dog father. Yes, but, uh, yeah. you know, the fact that he, <laughs> he he helped assemble this lineup, but he also championed us. And when we came out with our first album, you know, that metal show was still in the air, and yes, you know, him getting behind us really. Brought us to the right audience because I think his audience are people are people like us in our age who like real real rock music and mm-hmm. grew up with the music we listened to in the sixties seventies and eighties and we, we kind of miss it and it's it's there's not many bands doing it like this anymore so it is filling filling a void in twenty twenty three that isn't necessarily out there anymore. Yeah, Mike. Not, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Sonny. Oh, thanks. Mike, can you remember the last time you heard a drum part or something? Because I'm assuming the technical guys, you can find, figure out all what they're doing. But was there a time like a Ringo Starr or Peter Chris or Keith Moon's doing some of the drums? You're like, what the hell is he doing? I don't even know how to do what he's doing. Oh, I had, I had that all the time as a kid. I mean, that's how I learned 
and developed. I mean, it started with the, the lineage for me when I was a kid, it was Ringo, then Keith Moon, then John Bonham, then Neil Peart. And and Peter Chris was in there as well. Peter Chris would probably be the fourth stop along the way. Beatles, Who, Zeppelin, Kiss, and Rush. Wow. That was kind of like the chronological order for me when I was a kid. And each one of them I learned from. But obviously, once I got into the more progressive drummers like Neil Peart, those were the guys that was like, what the fuck is, what is, what is he doing? <laughs> exactly. You know? Or, uh, you know, even to this day, listening to like Terry Bozio playing on some of the old Zappa albums, like even to this day, I still can't wrap my head around that stuff. But, you know, it's all an evolution. Drumming or any instrument for that matter is an evolution. You know, you wouldn't have had, you know, you have Jimi Hendrix, then you have uh, Eddie Van Halen, then you have Ingve Malmsteen. You know, any instrument, there's going to be a lineage where everybody is learning from the people that came before them and everybody's taking it to the next level. And like when right. I came around in the 90s, late 80s and 90s with Dream Theater, I got a lot of attention because I had the massive drum kit yeah. and we're playing 10 minute songs that nobody was doing back then. But now if you look what I was doing back then, 30 years ago, I think by today's standards, it's child's play. You know, there are eight year old little girls from Japan on, on TikTok or Instagram that could play circles <laughs> around me, you know? So the bar just keeps rising and rising and rising. And, you know, every instrument, including the drums has this evolution of playing that just keeps going further and further beyond insanity. Yeah. One drummer that uh, we think your head's above is our friend, Joey Casada. I'm sure you're aware of him, right? <laughs> I, lo I love Joey. He's great. Yeah. He do too. Not, Joey's not on that uh, foursome of Bonham, <laughs> Moon, and all that. Bonham, Moon, Casada. <laughs> yeah. You know, we just love giving him shit. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I had a detour there. But one thing I wanted to ask. Hey, well, Joey, back, I saw Joey yeah. play Tom Sawyer on a, on a four-piece kit. With ZO2, because I took ZO2 out opening some shows for Dream Theater back in the day. And okay. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, I mean, because I love all three of those guys, Dave, oh, of and Paulie, and Joey. And yeah. Joey was doing the Neil Peart stuff on the little three or four piece kit. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. God bless him. We're going to be uh, taping with him a little bit later. So we'll make sure we'll say him. Uh, yeah. Say hello. hello from you. Yeah. Yes. So one of the things that's get back to this album. Yeah. It says all tracks written by the winery dogs. I mean, I'll be honest. I love when bands do that. I know uh, there sometimes there's somebody that's a focal point who was a main songwriter. I look at REM when Michael Stipe does most of the song, but it's credited to the band. Was that a conscious effort from you guys? Like, look, it's a super group. We're all coming into this. Let's all just take credit. Yeah, it was. I mean, with all three of us knew we wanted to collaborate. Uh, all three of us have led our bands or careers in the past you know billy led talus and mr big and i led dream theater for all those years and uh richie had a solo career for all these years so all three of us were very capable of doing things on our own but we knew look if we're putting this these three personalities together what's going to make it special and unique is the collaborative aspect of it and we knew all three of us wanted to be able to be equal partners and share the workload together now that yeah. being said when we got together to make the first album, we didn't know what the chemistry would be like. So uh, Richie did bring in a few little, little demos here and there. He had a demo for damaged and a demo for I'm no angel and elevate. And actually it's, well, let me get back to that in a minute. But um, so Richie had a few things that we could like lean on or fall back on because if the chemistry yeah. wasn't there, uh, but we knew right away that it was working. Even the lyrics, like, I had come off of being one of the main lyricists in Dream Theater. So when it came to the Winery Dogs, it was like, 
well, am I going to write lyrics? I don't know. And I, I was inspired to write the lyrics for You Saved Me. So I wrote those mm-hmm. lyrics and demoed Great it up song. with you singing. Amazing. But Richie was open for me to contribute those lyrics for the first album because it was the first time through. We didn't know what the chemistry would be. But, you know, once we got past the first album session, uh, we knew what was working. And I felt no need to contribute lyrics to anything beyond that that one song in the first album. It's all right. Richie, that's the best song anyways on the album. Uh, well, thank, thank you. But, but, you know, once we were, once we were writing together, it's like, okay, well, Richie can handle all the lyrics. He's great. He does great with that. And Richie didn't bring any demos in for the second or third album because it was like, look, the three of us, we could do this in a room together. We don't need to come in with anybody. Nobody needs to be writing songs for this band. The beauty is the chemistry of the three personalities. Now, that being said, we put out this thing off the first album. Are you aware yeah, of this I box set? Yeah. Oh, yes. I got yeah. it. It's awesome. And on like here, the covers on there. On, on here, we had a, a bonus CD. Uh, it was called The Winery Pups. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it was, oh, wait, wait, wait. Give me one second. Hang okay. On. Yeah, 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 absolutely. absolutely. So you have that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tom, Dude, I got everything. I, I don't have no, I don't have that. I have everything. <laughs> Dude, I got everything. That's awesome. Love it. Her, yeah. Herpes, crabs, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got it all. So this is because my is criminals the, on that one, right? Yeah, uh, criminal is was one of the it was actually the original version that was called Move On. So yeah. if you're a fan of the first album, obviously you guys are because that's what we're here yeah. discussing. Yeah. yeah, this is an amazing CD. Yeah to give you a glimpse into the way the writing was, you could see the photo on the back. I mean, that was us literally in Richie's little rehearsal room. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow. So cool. But excellent. One of the demos on here, Richie brought in the demo for I'm no angel. Mm -hmm. And let let me me see if I could play this. Tell me if you could hear this, if I'm playing in the background. Can can you hear that? Yep. Yep. So originally he brought this demo in and, Now check out the chorus. Oh, that's elevated. Yes. Oh, it's elevated. Yeah, that's wow. <laughs> Amazing. So there you go. That's, that's a case. That's where, amazing. If if this was Richie's solo album, this would have been the song I'm No Angel. And the chorus, the verses are I'm No Angel. The chorus is Elevate. Yeah. But one of the beauties of us working together is one of us, I think, I, not to pat myself on the back, but I think it was me, said, that's a great chorus. We should write a whole different song with that chorus and keep the the chorus to I'm No Angel more in the baby. Yeah. And, and even the lyrics, Richie's original, original lyric was Elevate You, I'll Take You Higher. And I suggested, why don't we change it to elevate me, take take me higher. So this was an example of the collaborative purpose. That's awesome. Like Richie came in with this demo, but the, the working together and being open to the suggestions and the collaborations was able to, you know, branch this off into two different strong songs on their own. They all both ended up being singles as well. But anyway, this 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 is a great, great thing. If you like the first album. I'm not sure if you could stream it or if it's on YouTube or whatever, but this was a, a really good glimpse. Uh, I think my vocal demo for you saved me is on here as well. And oh, nice. nice. Yeah, it's it's really it's a really cool listen if you're a fan of the first album. Nice. Mike, I wanted to ask. So the, the first two albums, nice full 13 song 
you know, without not including any bonus tracks, 13 songs on the debut and on hot streak, you drop the new album. It has 10 songs. No, obviously nobody's complaining about, about that. Was that a conscious effort to kind of scale down what yep. you put, what you put in there? Oh, okay. Completely conscious. Okay. Um, I think we felt, I mean, the first album, we ended up recording 14 songs. Yes. Uh, the American version had Time Machine. The Japanese version had Criminal. Criminal, yes. But it was 14 in total. And then Hot Streak, I think, may have had 14 songs as well. There and, was a bonus on Hot Streak as well, yes. Yeah, a few bonuses. We recorded um, the cover of, uh, 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 what is that, uh, Rick Love Wright's? Is Alive? Yeah, Love is yeah. Alive. Yeah. We also had a song called uh, uh, Higher Ground. No, yeah. uh, Solid Ground. Solid Ground. Yep. Yeah, so there was a few leftovers as well, but I think with Hot Streak, it 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 meandered a little bit towards the middle, and I think we felt this time around. Look, ten ten is a nice, strong, even number. Hmm. You look at the out the classic albums like Van Halen One or ACDC Back in Black. It's like eight or ten strong songs, forty five minutes to fifty yep. minutes. Get in, get out. No, all killer, no filler. And we wanted to have that with this new one. We felt like. We don't need the experimental tunes like, you know, Hot Streak had a few experimental tunes that that, you know, was cool to experiment with. But let's try to make an album with the new one. That's just 10 killer strong songs. And there were a few leftovers. There were a few other uh, maybe four or five different like seeds that we jammed on and started piecing together that we never pursued. I think once Richie started putting lyrics and vocals to songs once we hit the 10 song mark it was like okay these are good this is mm. this is fine and let's just cap it at that interesting yeah nice yeah. i love on your website that you can buy uh, a download it's like 10 bucks because i got hot drums right and uh-huh. oh, yeah, yeah. so basically it's you in the studio doing the recording of hot streak and you can either just hear the drums you can hear just the vocal your background vocals of the yeah. drums which is interesting because i'm like Wait a second. He he's saying one word and then disappeared. What was that again? <laughs> um, or then you can hear the full band. That is so cool that that behind the scenes is available like that on your yeah. website. Yeah, I've done that for all of my albums over the past fifteen years or so. Or That's so awesome. Even, maybe more, even dating back to Dream Theater. Uh, I didn't. I did not do one for this latest album just because uh, I'm noticing. You know, 2023 DVDs just don't sell like they Mm. used to and you could do the digital downloads and everything but to me it's just it's a lot of work with not much payoff in return everything's on youtube now so yeah i didn't do one for this album but you can go to my website uh i think the dvds are sold out or out of print but you could get the downloads of the first two albums and yeah every one of these albums i've done for all of my bands uh there's always an option of hearing just the drums and my vocals isolated as well so yeah it's if you're interested in that sort of thing they're they're there well you know one of the things that we reason we wanted to have you on is because uh rumor has it you like kiss as well <laughs> so uh I'm this is yeah this is a kiss podcast so there are plenty of we could have you on just to talk about kiss and believe me we'd love to do that at some point just have you just shoot the shit about kiss all day long yeah um couple things i'm going to get to favorite song Favorite album, favorite member. Do you have any? Yeah, I could give you all three easily. Okay. Uh, well, favorite song. Uh, well, maybe it's not that easy. I think everyone. <laughs> I mean, of course, you could give a lot of the answers, but I, I, I love Take Me from Rock and Roll Over. Ooh, nice. Um, I love uh, Do You Love Me from Destroyer. Mm. 
Uh, Black Diamond, of course, is a classic. I mean, Black Diamond might be the the quintessential. Yes. In fact, uh, I mean, we could talk about this in more in depth, but I, I had the honor of playing with Peter and Ace together um, back in well, about 10 years ago at this point. It was yep. Andy Trump's 30th anniversary. Yes, concert, that's right. And I was the musical director, so I was able to put together all the different bands and uh, configurations and pick the songs. And I was able to get both Ace and Peter down there mm. uh, to play together. And I got to play with both of them, which was amazing. So awesome. But one of the, I mean, in picking the songs, I really wanted to do Black Diamond. And, uh, you know, especially because Peter sang, you know, the verses and everything. But uh, him and Ace wouldn't do it without Kiss. They were like, all right, well, we did. Wow. We did uh, Parasite. We did Got to Choose. And we did, uh, you know, Rock and Roll All Night. But I was like, oh, man, I really want to play Black Diamond with you guys. That would be the the dream. But they were like, no, that's we just do that with Kiss. It's like, well, they do it without you. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was the, that was like the one I was shooting for to play like, man. To play that with those guys would have been incredible. But anyway, back to, so favorite song I'll have, I'll have to say Black Diamond. But right. take me take me is like a a sleeper track for me. Okay, uh, favorite album that's also interesting because I always thought it was either Rock and Roll Over or Dress to Kill. Mm. Uh, and I recently over the pandemic did uh, another Kiss uh, podcast where we pitted the first three albums against each other, song by song. Then we pitted the second three albums against each other song by song. And when it was, when we were doing the first three, I was like, you know, dress to kills my favorite as I got like, you know, I love, uh, love her all I can and room service and all those tunes. It's like, I, lo- I love all those songs. She, I, I, I thought dress to kill was my favorite, but when we went song for song for song, you couldn't beat the first album. The first album mm-hmm. had, all of the the songs that were undeniably classics. the classics. That's right. And it was the same when we did the second three albums. Like I thought in my head, well, Rock and Roll Over is my favorite. Uh, you know, I love Take Me. I love I Want You. Uh, you know, Doctor Love. But when we went song for song for song, you couldn't beat Destroyer. Destroyer That's was right. Like undis- That's like, right. So I have my favorites, but then they're the ones that are like the undeniable quintessential classics you know yeah. the first album and destroyer are the classics undeniable uh but for me there's a a, a a favorite kind of sleeper albums with dress to kill and rock and roll over or you could just say kiss alive one and just knock it all out yeah there you go. <laughs> just uh just an fyi we do a like a football type march mat excuse me basketball march madness tournament every year online and it's all kiss songs every year it's different categories this year we did the ultimate Every Kiss song on a March Madness. And it's always the same song that comes on one side, Detroit Rock City. This time when Detroit Rock City up against Black Diamond. Oh, wow. Detroit Rock City just killed it. Detroit Rock City, we did did one. The first year was all makeup songs. Detroit Rock City beat Deuce. This year, we did non-makeup. We did what song should they play on End of the Road. Uh, And then this year, we did, uh, you know, what's the ultimate makeup right. non-makeup and that was it in black diamond lost to Detroit rock city i mean Not the first cool. the first album and destroyer those are the benchmarks and it's the yeah. sort of thing like they're you know when you think about van halen like yeah the first album is so played out but it is the album it's That's the right. one with all the hits and all the ones you want to hear i mean i would love to i've always said i would love to put together uh, a version of a live one and a live two with all the songs that aren't on those albums. Yes. So take yeah. the first six albums 
And then all the songs that aren't on a live one and live two put together a live set with that, you know, yeah. because you, you know, we as fans, you don't want to hear Detroit Rock City for the zillionth time. I, <laughs> right. You know, I want to hear Do You Love Me or, or you know. Take uh, Me, like you said. Yeah. Take, so, I mean, uh, but, Plaster Cast or fucking. But, but when you look at the, the, you know, you look at the track listing and those classic albums are classic albums for a reason. Yeah, yeah, Mike. Mike I got. What? Oh, sorry. sorry and I haven't ahead. named my go favorite ahead. member, which is. Oh, easy. go ahead. It's easy, and of course, I love Peter Chris. He's one of my biggest drum heroes of all time. But Ace was always my hero. Even there you go. We even when I was uh, in elementary school, my nickname was Ace. It was Ace Portnoy. Even my sixth grade teacher called me Ace. You know, wow. my nickname all throughout really? uh, elementary school. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, what did you I think was a of? Big fan back then. What did you think of his interviews with Eddie? Hey, how are you, Eddie? Ace Fraley. How you doing, brother? Yeah. I mean, Ace is Ace, you know. He, exactly. He was, the, he was the spaceman for a reason. Whether he's clean or sober, he's still space Ace, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But so he was my hero. He was just, yeah. just always the coolest. You know, it's yep. like there's certain people just ooze cool, like Jimmy Page, yep. you know, yes. Keith, Keith Richards. And Ace was like that, you know, it was like mm -hmm. he just oozed cool, even even if he's and that's no disrespect to Paul and Gene. And I, I I feel bad watching them fight like they do. But, you know, I do as much as Ace and Peter are my heroes and my favorite members of the band. And I played with both of them. You got to give Gene and Ace, uh, excuse me, Gene and Paul all the credit in the world for holding it together for these 50 years Absolutely. And, putting, yeah. and not yeah. and not putting up with the bullshit and treating treating it seriously and treating the brand seriously even if it's to the point where it's you know people mock all the kiss merchandise or whatever but you know what they're laughing all the way to the bank and here they are 50 years old 50 years in not 50 years old 50 years in for the band yeah. still playing stadiums and headlining all these festivals so mm -hmm. they have to get all the credit in the world even though ace was is, was and is my favorite member <laughs> that's with no disrespect to gina paul absolutely so, Mike, I know you guys are on uh, break right now. You guys are going to go back out on uh, on the road. But let's say first day you guys get together, whether it's a rehearsal or sound check. I'm sure you guys probably don't need rehearsal anymore. So let's just say a sound check. And you say, all right, Billy, Richie, let's start with either I Stole Your Love, Mr. Speed, or Rune Service. <laughs> Give me their reactions. What would their two reactions be? Well, um, well, Richie does like Kiss. Believe it or not, yeah. Richie is a Kiss fan. You wouldn't know it from like his style and the yeah. the. But he actually, I, I guess, he was a Kiss fan, being the kind of age group we came from. I mean, I saw Kiss in '77 at the Garden, oh, and it was yes. it was like it was life changing. I mean, I still, mm. wow. still have the pin here. Oh, no. oh my God! Yes, but, uh, that's so cool. But Richie comes from the same age bracket, so I think they had that effect on him as a kid as well. Billy, not so much. I, you know, I don't want to put words in Billy's mouth, but I don't think he's necessarily a Kiss fan like mm -hmm. we are. Uh, he's yeah. a little bit older, so I think he just came from a different world. Mm -hmm. So, in answer to the question, if I said let's bust into a Got to Choose or or a <laughs> Firehouse, I don't think they they would have any idea what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's why. You know, there's certain people that are Kiss fans. Like I, I geek out on Kiss whenever I'm with the Anthrax guys, like Charlie. Scott, oh, oh yeah, Frankie. Charlie, yeah, Charlie and Scott and Frankie. They're all yep. Kiss fanatics. Or yep. I could get into Kiss with Eddie Trunk. I could get into Kiss yep. with so many friends that you know. You have your Kiss groups, you know. Yeah. And there are you either. It was a thing that Derek Sherinian once said when he was in Dream Theater because he ended up 
touring with Kiss. Uh, yeah, stage, the keyboard. He played, on, he played on a live three, and he's a Kiss fan. Even though he's a keyboard player, he grew up in the world of like Randy Rhodes and Eddie Van Halen and mm-hmm. Kiss and stuff like that. And he once said to me when he was playing in Dream Theater, he's like, "You either grew up with Kiss posters on your walls or you didn't." And he was kind of uh, referring to like the other guys in Dream Theater didn't they weren't kiss fans like i was like i grew right. up with kiss on my walls uh you know whereas the other guys from dream theater or maybe billy sheehan as just to bring in an example or uh maybe a bunch of people i've worked with in some of my other bands steve morse or neil morse or whatever they didn't you know mm-hmm. kiss wasn't their thing but for certain people of our age and our age group that grew up in the 70s and 80s it was you were either there and you get it or you or you you weren't and you don't Right. Yeah, Mike, before we let you go, I have to ask one question that has nothing to do with what we've talked about so far. And that's because I have a rush geek in front of me right now. I so I have to ask a rush question. Yeah. When Neil Peart passed. There were discussions like there always are on social media about Alex and Getty, maybe not recording anything, but performing, whether it's a tribute thing for Neil and your name kept getting mentioned. Has there been or will there be or was there ever any communication with you and Getty and Alex about doing any type of performance together? I would never be so presumptuous to think that I even deserve that honor. Okay. Uh, I see other people bringing up all the time. Yep. Obviously, it would be a tremendous honor. And I love Rush as much as I, you know, as much as anybody does. Uh, You know, they're one of my biggest influences. And, you know, I've played that material, you know, covered that material so many times through the years with so many different people. And, yeah, I mean, I I, I know that material inside and out. But to even think that they would continue without Neil uh, is mm. presumptuous, at, yeah. you know, and that's that's obviously a decision only the two of them could make. Uh, honestly, I can't picture it happening. I mm-hmm. I could picture it happening at events like the way they played at the taylor hawkins uh yes exactly with yes Gats, where they also played at the the south park uh anniversary show with the guys from primus so mm-hmm. i mean i could picture it happening in those capacities in the future of course it would be the honor of all honors if i ever got called to play with them i mean it would be the biggest dream come true obviously sure but um that's not me putting myself out there that's yeah you know i get asked this question and then yeah. it becomes a blabbermouth headline you know <laughs> i'm just answering the question because you're. i understand me. i got you i hear you but i i will say and uh i did speak to both getty and alex after neil after neil passed just to send my condolences uh mm-hmm. i emailed uh or messaged with both of them after neil passed to send on my condolences and they both responded and were both appreciative. And they, awesome. you know, Neil, Neil and I, um, I, I'm so honored to have had a relationship with him his last mm. 10, 15 years or so before he passed. And that's one of the biggest honors of my life is that I had a personal relationship with him in awesome. the capacity that I did. Uh, so, yeah, I did pass on my condolences to both Getty and Alex. But obviously, those discussions had nothing to do whatsoever with their future or playing or me offering myself out. I mean, I, I would never be so bold or presumptuous sure. to do something like that. Of course. Th- I, but thank you for answering. I appreciate it. Yeah. So one last thing for me, and that is the same kind of question a little bit here. I, I love when I hear uh, drummers, musicians tell me about other drummers and musicians. So Peter 
for all his, you know, love and kiss world and everything, he does sometimes get some shit. Oh, Peter Chris, especially after 75 or 70, you know, by the time he's in the late 70s, oh, he's no good and this and this and that. I love his drum playing. I find it fantastic. When I've we've had Charlie on the show, Charlie Benante sings his praises. Joe yeah. Casada sings his praises. I'd like to hear from you. Like, what's your thought on Peter Christ, the drummer, especially early Peter, in his drumming style? Now, I obviously I get it. I'm not asking you to say he's John Bonham, but there was a style, I believe, to it, and he made that style part of the Kiss sound. Yeah, I mean, he, uh, I was listening to him uh, intensely around the time of 75 through 78 or 79 or so, you know, his last few years in the band. And I was the biggest Kiss fanatic in the world at that time. And that was when I was just starting to really learn how to play a drum. So like I mentioned earlier, I kind of learned from Ringo and Keith Moon and John Bonham. But I was at the age uh, in the mid-70s when I was listening to Kiss that I was really uh, easily influenced. You know, I was just starting to play the drums and get into it. And I would look at the tour programs or the pictures inside Alive One and Alive Two and look at Peter's drum set. And he had that massive kit with all the single headed toms wrapping all the way around him. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the drum solo on Alive One during a hundred thousand years or on Alive Two during a, a was it God of Thunder on Alive uh-huh. Two. And I mean, I learned those solos note for note. And he was my big hero, you know, playing with the cowbell and flanging the drums during his solos. And plus he was also a great singer. I love that he was, you know, a singing drummer as well. Um, So, yeah, I I can't state enough of how big of an influence he was in those very formative years for me in the mid to late seventies. And that doesn't take away from the fact that how he plays now. I mean, I know, you know, he's 76 years old or something like that. No, no, Nobody can play at 76 years old the way they played when they were in their 30s and 40s. Yeah. And yeah. if if I'm still alive at that age, I don't I'm gonna be able to play the way I play now or the way I played 20 years ago. It's just impossible, yeah. especially with heavier music. It's one thing if you're doing like with no disrespect to the stones or whatever, but you know, the head as time goes on and the music gets heavier and you know it, it becomes a little harder to maintain in your older ages. Yeah. You know, so an interview with Lars recently. Him saying, is he going to be able to play battery, you know, when he's 70 <laughs> years old? And no, no. It's, it's a very different animal. Uh, so as far as Peter playing now, I, I get that he can't play the way he used to, especially because drumming is such a physical instrument. Mm-hmm. But I had the honor of him playing my drum kit at that Eddie Trunk uh, show. Uh, you know, the Winery Dogs played that show. And then I stayed on as musical director for the all the special guests that followed. Yeah. And Peter came up and played my kit and sang Hooligan from the drum kit while yes, he was playing. Yes. So, yeah, you know, I have so much respect that he still has his heart in in it, you know, and That's and awesome. loves to do what he's doing. And uh, I actually just got a really nice Easter text from him and his wife, Gigi, a few days oh, ago. Oh, they're awesome. Very yeah. nice. Yeah. Very so nice. It's, it's, you know, I, I still have so much love and respect for peter and i'll be the first to stick up for him and it happens the same with people with with ringo i see ringo takes a beating a lot of times yeah. lars ulrich takes a beating a lot of times yes and these these are the three guys that i will stick up to the day stick up for till the day i die because uh whether or not they could do it now like they used to it doesn't matter their impact at the time of when they did it and their influence on the world of drumming and on my world it, personally is you can't even calculate it. All three of those guys, Ringo, Peter, Chris, and Lars Ulrich, 
all three of them had such a massive, massive, massive influence on me and so many millions of others drummers. Awesome. So Mike, Mike the, oh, go ahead, Sonny, wrap up if you want. Mike, the last thing for me, it's actually more of a statement. So first of all, we're honored to have the best rock drummer right now this best drummer i'm not but that, thank you for saying that but <laughs> you don't take it. You thank don't you take for it. saying that but, but man, i'll tell you, you what i love about that though is you're such a music geek it's kind of cool to have a music fan knowing yes. that well you won't admit you're the best but uh, knowing that we're talking to the best and they're a music geek like us is super refreshing i i look to the day i die i will be a music nerd, just like you guys. I mean, look at my room here. You know, amazing, love it. amazing, fucking awesome. I, yep. I, you know, that's that's never going to change. I'm still that 13 year old kid listening to a listening to a, a live one with headphones. I'm, uh, you know, I just happen to be a 56 year old that's in the Modern Drummer Hall of Fame, but it doesn't change <laughs> the fact that I'm still that 13 year old kid. You know, it, it, that doesn't change. You know, that's the way I'm always going to be. I think that's. My biggest strength of what I bring to all my bands is not my drumming. I think it's my my love for music and my knowledge of music and rock history. I think that's my biggest strength, not drumming. I think it just brings out the passion in everything I do. Mike, this has what? been yeah. be, be, beyond beyond amazing. We cannot thank you enough for your time. We've had you for about an hour. We've talked everything from winery dogs to kiss and rush and everything. Thrilled to have you. Wish you guys best of the luck on the continuation of the tour. Winery Dogs, thank you. Just you, you guys rock. Pass that on to Billy and Richie. Not that they need to hear it from three guys like us, but we can't thank you enough for your time, Mike. Cool. Thanks for having me. My pleasure, man. Mike, you rock. Thank you. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. Wow, Mike Portnoy. Guys, what do you think, Sonny? Your it's your it was your album. Yeah, I knew. You know, I've heard other interviews with Mike. I knew Mike would be a cool guy. Um, and he understands that not everybody loves everything he does, right? Cotson's the same way. Just got Soto's the same way. They do so much different things. You can't possibly be into everything they do. It's just not possible, right? But, uh, dude, him being a, like a geeky music fan, that is so cool. I, I yeah. agree. That's the. That, I think that's the thing I love the most about the interview was him talking about how he he loves what he's doing for Dream Theater, and even he acknowledges like Dream Theater is very methodical and technical. Winery Dogs is much more free spirited, bluesy, rocking kind of whatever you know. Sons of Apollo, Adrenaline Mob. Like he's a he's a music geek. He, he's a Kiss geek. He, he likes Rush. He likes you know, all these different bands. You know, talking about Keith Moon and all the all the you know influential drummers in his life. It's just it's great talking about a guy that's not not a not just a great interviewer, but a, an, I said it a million times, and you know. With all due respect to friend and former guest Charlie Bonate, who I think is right up there with some of the greatest living drummers, um, Portnoy is because he can just do so many incredibly different things. I think that's why I put him up there. Um, and of course, a Kiss fan and just engaging in music. And, and that's what we love. Yeah, I found it funny, Sonny. I think you started off with like, yeah, I'm not a big fan of your dream theater stuff. Yeah. Like, I, guy, knew you'd take guy, it. I knew you'd take it. I, I think the guy's probably like, the fuck you then why are you guys have me on well it's kind of it's kind of like when zeus is like yeah sonny picked this album and i'm like this is gonna suck <laughs> <laughs> I, I was but i immediately told him how no, i was I, like I blown know. away i know and i'm like oh he likes richie cotton fuck that i'm not gonna <laughs> see him on the kiss room but yeah he was um super cool just his room by the way and when we do release the video you guys will love yeah. it Oh yeah. His room is fucking 
awesome. Yep. Great guy. So we're two for two on these things. Um, can't wait for the third one. Yeah, he texted me later and told me that the best drummer in rock right now is the guy from Pretty Boy Floyd. So I don't know his name, but they, they have Pretty Boy Floyd as a drummer. <laughs> why, I, I, he, why are you doing this so that Sonny's going to pick that album or the fucking <laughs> Patreon people going to pick that album? Do it. And then all of a sudden we're gonna, like, hey, maybe we can get the drummer on from Pretty Boy Floyd. Next. Well, I could tell you, I could tell you right now. April's ARC pick is not that far removed from Pretty Boy Floyd, so stay tuned, people. Now, okay? The hard part's going to be we're going to do that review. Yeah. Then I'm going to see the person somewhat soon <laughs> right afterwards. That's right. And I'm going to be like, oh, no. You don't subscribe to the Shout It Out Loudcast podcast, do you? Yeah. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> There's one of the members right there that reviewed your album. Oh, my God. Oh, well. Anyway, till next time, peace out, Girl Scout. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.